Hey, pal. Hey, can you hear me okay there, Marty? Loud and clear. Loud Aside and from doing interviews where they ask you the same questions over and over and over again, how's your day going so far? Excellent. It beats, hey man, this is no no whining for me. This beats real work, so I'm happy. <laughs> so you got the guitar right there, and yep. the new record is coming out in about six weeks, five, six weeks, Altitude. When did you actually finish Altitude? It was one of those records that um, we had ready to go. We were going to go to California and record it before the pandemic hit. Then the world started crashing down and Capitol Studios shut down. So we had to have the conversation amongst ourselves as the band. Do we let this just ride and come back to it at the end of the pandemic, whenever that might be, or do we do it now while it's hot? And so we agreed to do it now while it was hot. So we put on masks and stood six feet apart and just trudged our way through. That was a very inspiring situation, but we got it done. And I'm glad we did because I don't think the record would have turned out the way it did had we have waited. How many songs from the record are you playing live these days when you're on tour? Well, let's see. We play uh, Country Star, Friend of Mine, Space, uh, Sitting Alone, Angels Came Down, and we're about to work up Silver Tomahawk, and mm. we've already done Vegas, so there's seven. Same band on the record is on the road these days? Absolutely. Yeah, so that's one of the things about you and your career that I admire, the longevity. In other words, there were it wasn't like you went away for 15 years. You still look cool. You're still doing an album every few years. You're still on the road, et cetera. Where you are now, did you have any idea that you were going to be there when you first hit it? Man, I have to tell you, the day that Lester Flatt gave me my job in Glasgow, Delaware, at a bluegrass festival, I was 13 years old and he called me to the front of the bus and he patted the seat, said, sit down here next to me. I want to show you something. And there were two old people walking toward his bus and the lady had a pie. Mm -hmm. And he said, you see those people right there? I went, yes, sir. He said, they've been coming to see me since me and Earl Scruggs were with um, Bill Monroe in the 1940s. And when we broke away and went into being flattened Scruggs, they still came. They still come. Do you know why? I went, no, sir. He said, because we treat our people good. And so he gave me that lecture. Then it, he went on to say, it is not about coming to a town, taking all the money, all the awards, being the most famous guy in town for three years and then getting lost. He said, the trick is to be welcome every January 1st. And I went, yes, sir. And I knew what he was talking about. And so under that kind of guidance, I started my career. And so that has been the, that has been the hope down through the years is just to keep it current, keep it relevant. Some years are better than others, but it's right. always around. That sounds like the exact opposite career path of Chuck Berry, who I love, but Chuck Berry was notorious for pay me everything in cash, then I'll hit the stage. I'm not gonna meet the band before I get on the stage. And this song's an E, one, two, three, four. Uh, Marty Stewart's the opposite of Chuck Berry. Man, but we, we're big Chuck Berry fans. We love right. Chuck Berry in our band. We tell Chuck Berry stories. His son, Charles Berry Jr., comes to visit us in St. Louis from time to time. So we tell Chuck stories, but man, you have to go to an entirely different level of commitment as the father of rock and roll. <laughs> when you live by those standards, it's like, whoa, I couldn't do it. It'd drive me nuts. Well, another thing that, you know, I really admire about you is when you were having 
top 40 singles, every single single on the mainstream charts and not just the country charts. You were known as a guitar player at a time when predominantly it wasn't the lead singer who could also solo. Did you have anyone early on going, hey, Marty, uh, leave it to the other guys on the guitar stuff? No, because um, uh, being a guitar player was part of the part of the package or being a mandolin player. I was I, my favorite kind of artist were the guys that could play as well as sing and write. That was that was the best combination. Uh, Neil Young was making a record called Old Ways. And I ran into Waylon downtown. He said, Waylon was hanging out with Neil. He said, you want to come right out to a Neil Young session? I went, sure. This is in the early 90s, I guess. So I rode out to the studio and there sits Neil. He's writing a song. He walked in there and produced it and sang it and played the guitar on it. And then he went behind the console and mixed it. And then I understand that he arranged the album and, you know, sequenced the album and talked about the artwork. I went, he was the first guy that I ever saw that did everything. Mm. And I went, that really had a profound effect on me. And I thought, this is, if you're going to do this for a living and you're going to run a band, that's how you need to do it right there. So that was an eye opener to run into that scene. And that's documented. I had the pleasure a couple of years ago of getting your coffee table book for the Pilgrim album, where we saw that you documented everything from that era. Does that happen with most of your albums and tours where the photographers are always around? Yeah, I'm one of those. I'm a photographer. So I welcome good photographers, real photographers. And there's always a photographer hanging around or it's at that point in my life now people pay attention to how many shows I do every year with the band and uh, they keep up with those kind of things. So I don't have to be quite as tedious about it as I used to be, but it's an honor for somebody to see enough worth in the, the create, you know, the, the situation to pick up, uh, to take it up and make a calls out of it. So that's pretty good. A lot of your peers now have traveling exhibits because the memorabilia is important. They kept stuff. Could we see a Marty Stewart traveling exhibition in the future? Traveling exhibit, we're building an entire cultural center for it down in Mississippi called the really? Country Music. Yeah, I mean, there's like 20,000 items in the collection. It's not just my stuff, but I mean, like this is Jimmy Rogers' guitar. And uh, there's profound items. So uh, we've done traveling exhibits in the past. I've done those. Um, and I've loaned things to museums, of course, but it will have a, a permanent home at the Congress of Country Music down in Philadelphia, Mississippi. You're invited. Score. Uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi, your hometown. Had anyone made it from your town before you? So uh, musically, no. Uh, there were some star athletes from there, a couple of star business people. Uh, I think I was the first musician to ever swing it across the fence there. There's a now, and there's a there's a contemporary country cat named Hardy. Oh, Hardy's from there. Hardy's from Philadelphia, Mississippi as well. So it's in the water down there, I suppose. <laughs> Hardy's an interesting one in that he's kind of defying all the genres where you go, is he a country artist? Is he a hard rock guy? Is he a hip hop guy? Which Kid Rock did 20 years or so before that. We're starting to see in that. In your case, did you start off with rock influences before you got into country, or did it all start with country? Well, it started with my radio station, the same one probably Hardy listened to. Um, 
is that it was WHOC. They're still on the air in Philadelphia. But it signed on with country music. And at the noon hour, they played a, an hour of Southern gospel music. Afternoon was rock and roll. Late afternoon was soul music. Uh, then they signed off with easy listening. That was every day of the week. And so I was a sponge. I listened to everything and everybody. But it was country music that got my heart the deepest. But, man, I listened to everybody down there. It was a great little radio station. Uh, it was almost like an educational radio station to me. Hmm. What's the heaviest music that you ever got into? Did you ever have hard rock influences? Uh, what do you call heavy? I'm not talking about death metal, but I'm saying, were you into Deep Purple at the time? Uh, not so much. I mean, I was in, if you want to really go to the scary part of the world, follow me and I'll take you into some of the subject matter of some of the earliest country recordings, like Little Girl and the Dreadful Snake. Uh, you know, the songs like Unloved and Unclaimed, but she lay on a slab in the old city morgue, despised, neglected, no name. But they'll lay her to uh, rest in Potter's Field this morning. She'll lay there unloved and unclaimed. That was the kind of stuff I listened to when I was a little kid. And then I would hear, you know, you know, all the rock and roll bands of the day coming around. Like, well, you think you're heavy, but I can show you a heavier place. <laughs> you might be louder, but you're not heavier. That is mind-blowing, Marty. Well, one more question for you, and then I'm going to let you roam free. And that's, You've managed to maintain mystique over the years. Like, we know you from your music, but we don't know what you do in your free time. Do you have a favorite TV show at the moment or a show you could recommend? Do you know what I've fallen into lately? Is, um, it's, an old, it's an old sitcom called Frasier. Oh, yeah. I love the writing on that show. And I love, and there's another one called Everybody Loves Raymond. Just the writing on those shows. I love good writing. Uh, those those are the two that's i don't do much tv time anymore but when i do get around to it in their own i'll tend to watch those so classic sitcoms are your thing they make well at the moment they make me laugh and i think everybody could use a good laugh these days brendan aside from having to talk to me how's your day going so far uh it's you know what as i always say better than i deserve wow well, I see the Metallica figures behind you. We're going to come back to that. Oh, okay. First, we'll talk about the best man. So how much of Bradley is there in Brendan the Human Being? Um, I don't, not a lot. I mean, I've, you know, I'm not military. He was special forces. Um, you know, he's, his, you know, wife has passed. I'm happily married. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I've been the best man once. That's, that's about it. Uh, he could, he, you know, he can fight and tote guns and, you know, uh, you know, I'm a peace loving hippie. I, no, I'm not, but I'm just saying there's, there's, there's not a lot. I think the only thing would be um, just the, yeah, he feels he's got a lot of guilt in his, in his life. Um, I'm relatively happy. And like I said, blessed. So um, not too much actually which is fun. What was your gateway into this project? Did you know Shane or was it a traditional audition for you? Uh, I knew, I didn't know Shane. I knew the, um, the, uh, the line producer. I'd worked with him before. And then uh, he had, uh, he had brought my name up, uh, I guess 
to Shane uh, and the producers. And, uh, you know, I, I think a little bit of, we shot it in Rio Doso, New Mexico, and I live in New Mexico. So uh, not exactly a local hire since, you know, it's three hours away, but, um, but I think it all kind of just worked out there. So uh, I got, yeah, it was, uh, it was an offer, which is good because, yeah, you know, auditions are for the birds, you know, you got to do them, but they're, 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 that's, it's so tough. The magical words right there, New Mexico. The first time that I became aware of New Mexico being a filming hotspot was Breaking Bad. And then we mm -hmm. find out that Netflix has their studio there where they have the Las Vegas set. So you think it's being filmed in Las Vegas, but it's really New Mexico. Had you filmed much in New Mexico before? Yeah, I moved here in 2012. We shot in, uh, Night Shift here for four years. So Night Shift, the TV show, it was supposed to take place in San Antonio, but New Mexico looked enough like it, is what they say. Um, and, and the tax credits are great here, and they got great crews and uh, and everything else. And so, um, and so I had moved here. Yeah, I've lived here since uh, 2012. So yeah, it's home to me. So I've done, you know, we shot Night Shift for a while. I've done two Better Call Sauls. Um, so I've, yeah, I've worked a little bit in, in New Mexico. Um, it's always fun to work in your home state. One thing I'd heard, I'd interviewed two of his kids that Val Kilmer was instrumental in bringing the film industry out there. Is that true? I don't know. Um, I know he's out here. I know, you know, he's out here. There's a couple of people. I think Julia Roberts has a massive ranch out here. Oh, um, someone had mentioned there's, there's a, um, Oh, I'm missing, there, there, but there's Tommy Lee Jones uh, has a big place out here. So, you know, I think, you know, you can get a lot of land for, for you know, relatively cheap. And I think, uh, you know, those people, um, you know, if you can, when you're looking to get away, uh, it's close enough to LA just to kind of shoot over there, but uh, you know, you can get your own space. And there is, there is a magic, you know, I, you know, it's the land of enchantment. <laughs> is there a bureau chief for New Mexico paparazzi? I don't know. Because I, I assume with that talent, yourself included, out there, that there'd have to be some kind of a beat person that would have to track all the actors out there. Yeah. Um, you would, th I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, a map of the stars but it would probably take you about seven hours going, you know, all around New Mexico because I'm sure they're, you know, all over the place. Got it. Well, hey, as promised at the top of our chat, there's Metallica next to you and that's not the Black Album. That looks like uh, Ride the Lightning era or is that Master Puppets era? That's Master Puppets. Okay. Are you a metalhead or just Metallica? Um, I would say I'm a metalhead. I mean, you know, Metallica is obviously the big one for me. Um, you know, Motorhead. Uh, like Glenn Danzig. Dan yeah, yeah, exactly. Danzig. Um, but but I, it is a certain kind of, you know, I don't do the death metal stuff. You know, I kind of do want to hear you, you know, the, the lead person sing. Yeah. Um, and so... But it's funny, metal, you know, uh, Slipknot is great, which is kind of their, you know, that's a different genre of metal. I, I don't even know, you know, it's not kind of traditional. You look back at the old metal bands and you're like, is that really metal? Like if you look back at Judas Priest, 
you know, no, it's and, not, but it's and awesome. And it's ageless. It's totally awesome. Yeah. And so that's where I'm like, am I a metal fan? Cause I haven't, like, I always search new metal bands, what's going on. And, you know, either I love the music, but I hate the, the vocals, um, you know, or the vocals are good, but the music is just like, nah, this isn't it. And so it's, it's very tough to find, you know, what I'm really looking for in a metal band. And, you know, Metallica really encapsulates it. Uh, Motorhead, I'm sure there's some I'm missing, but it does kind of verge closer to uh, really heavy rock and roll. So um, what's the last concert that you went to for fun? The last concert I went to for fun was, I mean, they're up, you go to all of them for fun. Um, but I think the last concert I, I went to was just with my kid. It was Imagine Dragons um, out here. But I do have tickets to, um, I'm going to see Metallica in Arizona. For the Pantera or Wolfgang tour. Van Halen, one of those nights. Yeah, uh, we have, yeah, it's Pantera and it's Pantera and, and another band. Yeah, exactly. And then um, and then I got tickets to Eric Church because uh, I'm a big country guy too. So country, Imagine Dragons, Metallica, you go Imagine Dragons was, I mean, it was a great concert, but my kid wanted to go. Hey, um, Canadian stereotype of being easy to please and easy to work with. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I don't care if you go see a band you hate live, whether it be, you know, it's it's always, it really is an incredible, like the atmosphere just will kind of win you over automatically. You'll, you'll automatically, most of the time, leave almost any concert going, uh, yeah, I, I see it. Like th that's exciting because just live music in general. I mean, we're kind of built, um, you know, just as human beings, we're 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 made up. A lot of us to to kind of suck in whatever energy is out there. And if it's a, I don't care if you're watching, you know, some boy band or Taylor Swift, and that's not your thing. When the crowd is cheering and you you, you can feel like all the endor, you know, you're just like, all right, that's that's, that's enjoyable. Well, last question before I let you go. The Best Man is the new movie that we were set up to speak with, but IMDb shows a lot of stuff. It shows Wilder, Captive, Desert Run. Are you allowed to say what is next from you? I am. Uh, you know, Best Man releases, you know, April 21st, so that's there. Captive, I, I don't know where they're at with that. I know they're finishing that, and that's where I met Scout Taylor Compton for the first time. Uh, she She's been captive, and I have this small cameo role that we shot, um, you know, Baron and Toluca uh, is a, you know, pilot that we shot. That's um, that uh, me and my co-star shot. So that's you know, kind of we're, we're in the process of uh, of pitching and selling that. And then um, some of those, you know, a lot of those are in kind of pre-production. So I, I think you probably have as much clue as I do as to what's really next. So just keep checking the Instagram and that's how we'll know what's coming next from Brendan. Exactly. I will, I will keep you as soon as I know something, everyone knows. Well, Hey, an absolute <laughs> pleasure speaking with you. Glad you have great taste outside of the acting as well. Looking forward to whatever's coming next. All right. Thanks, Darren. I really appreciate it. Outrocast. Leslie, Jeremy, a pleasure to be speaking with you both. Aside from having to deal with me today, how's the day going so far? Great. The sun's out. It's Wednesday. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Same answer. You, Jeremy? 
Uh, no, there's, there's no sun. I don't know when I moved to Seattle. I swear to God, LA has been just cloudy, miserable. I, I don't know what's going on. Jeremy, I noticed the middle initial is missing from your Zoom name. Is it is that an error, or do you like to be called Jeremy S. Evans most times in most instances? Just Jeremy Evans or Hey You, that guy. Anything works, man. That, that was just for IMDb. There's so many Jeremy Evanses. My name's not sexy, so <laughs> it happens. There's no middle initial for you, Leslie? Uh, no, yeah. I mean, there's not too many Leslie Wongs, believe it or not. Maybe not in the acting world. There's tons in the world. I mean, you know, they're probably all related to me, but I would, I, you know, it's hard to keep track. Well, Leslie, how much of you is there in the character that you play in Andy Somebody? Um, well, you know, Jeremy and Jesse have, who wrote the script, obviously, they um, they know me pretty well. I mean, Jesse and I, you know, we've been good friends for so long, I can't even tell you. And he kind of, when they wrote the role, they thought about me and put a lot of the attitude of it um into the character because you know I think that you know the best way to act is obviously being yourself and just you know um taking from your own experiences and I think not that I've ever you know um kept a friend um you know in my house from from the law uh but you know like things like hiding secrets from people and and being kind of the more sensible person you know the the rational person in a relationship that seems to be me for sure well, something, Leslie, you have in common with Jeremy is you were both behind the camera, not just on camera. So, Jeremy, when you were writing the script, did you know that you wanted to be the focal point, the lead in this film? Yeah, we uh, I, I got a pilot shut down. Um, I had a pilot at CBS and <clears throat> COVID started creeping in and they said we're keeping all our in-house projects. So after that heartbreak, I, uh, I called Jesse and I was like, hey, man. I'm, I'm broke. I got, I have no money. I, I spent money <laughs> that, that I thought was coming. And I said, we got to write a feature. We got to do something. Let me borrow $40 <laughs> and then let's go to the bar and have a couple drinks and let's figure out a script and uh, just kind of went from there. Leslie, did you know all that coming into this film that, Hey, this film originated from desperate measures of course we're very happy with the end result of it but that is not the most encouraging start to a project i've ever heard for again something that's awesome and recommended by yours truly well i mean you know knowing jeremy and jesse and, and being being um so close to them you know i i kind of knew something was up you know they were they were like oh we're writing we're writing we're writing and i'm like okay you guys keep writing you know and and um, when they came up with the idea, I was just kind of like, okay, I think that we can do this. Like, this is an idea that we can actually run with. So yeah, I mean, you know, I, I didn't have, um, I had all kinds of expectations, but it ended up being, you know, more than I could have asked for, for sure. In a role, you know, as, as producing partners, everything, like it just was one of the best experiences I've had. Jeremy, what you just said about the $40 at the bar, is that $40 for two people or $40 for one person? <laughs> no, and if so, that has to be the a dive bar for $40. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, we ended up, when I say we, I mean, Jesse, we ended up spending a lot more than that. I, I was just, I was just on my, I was just on my butt, man. I, I was like, we got to do something and I want to you know, when, when you have a pilot that's that's going, 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 we got all the way to the finish line. And then Queen Latifah says, no, 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 my pilot's going and not you. 
uh, <laughs> you just have to, you, you've got to move on. Like I said, man, I, I did the rookie mistake of spending money I didn't have. Um, cause I was, you know, that was my pilot. I was an executive producer on that. And, uh, so yeah, it was definitely a lot of desperation and, and we knew we were going to bring Leslie in, um, everybody on the team. And I knew I could bring some of my people in. So we were like, okay, let's cater roles to people so we can just do something, you know, that doesn't cost a lot um and you know cost a lot but hollywood parlance we can't do a billion dollar film we're not a marvel thing so let's do something people in rooms and um you know just create our own gunpowder like you know i I was i was i was in a horrible place when cbs called and said sure you know we're done that happened i'll never forget happened on a friday and i was like i went to the I went to the store and was like, give me all the alcohol, please. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, yeah. So this was born out of like, you know, let's not let, uh, for me at least, let's not let the Hollywood system shut us down. Right. And then and then COVID happens and, and we, you know, Leslie can talk about this. We shot this thing, what was it, four years? Yeah. Well, um, and also I had two babies in that, in those four years. Yeah. <laughs> like, so we had COVID and then I had kids. So we were like, all right, we got to stop production because Leslie went to the hospital, but let's keep going, <laughs> you know, things like that. So yeah, a lot of things happened in the four years that we were putting it together. And, and um, yeah, yeah, it was a really interesting experience for sure. Was all of the film filmed in LA in the surrounding areas? No, we actually sh- uh, shot a bunch of stuff um, in Chicago. Um, you'll, you'll see <laughs> some, some fun shots, shots of Jeremy running around Chicago. Um, and we actually shot some of the stuff in the Bay Area because that's um, currently where I am now. Um, so we did do some pickup shots in the Bay Area as well. The reason I had to ask where things are shot is one of my favorite shows of the past few years, Atlanta. There's a scene or two where they go to New York for the day and it's really Atlanta. And then Single Drunk Female, which is about a girl moving back to her family home in Boston, was filmed in Chicago and Atlanta. So these days, you, you never know. There's stuff that's filmed in Tokyo that's really L.A. There's stuff yeah. that's in Las Vegas that's really in New Mexico. <laughs> so when I see him walking around Chicago, I don't know if that's really Chicago. Although he does the, have the Cubs hat on. And you just showed me a, a Cubs mug, was it? Yeah, listen, man. I hugged the Harry Carey statue right outside Wrigley Field. We So we went to Chicago, watched a game. We filmed me, just a montage scene of me running around the city after I steal the money. So we shot in three cities, LA, San Francisco, and uh, uh, yeah, Chicago, authentic. (laughs) The three, three of the four most expensive cities in the US to legitimately shoot in, yet it sounds like you pulled, you pulled some favors. Oh yeah, yeah, we, I mean, we, we didn't tell anybody. We went to Chicago and we're like, all right, you ready? Let's go. We had, we had two guys, one guy holding the camera, one guy holding a boom mic, that was it. (laughs) <laughs> so any blowback from the plastic surgery industry as a result of this film? Um, no, we haven't, we haven't heard any, <laughs> we haven't gotten any yet. Um, you know, I, I think that we kept it pretty low key on the, on the, the plastic surgery side. Um, our, our, our villain, you, sh- I, I guess we, we can call him a villain. Um, he, you know, he was, we were, we were, we were trying to show the darker side of plastic surgery, but it wasn't actually plastic right. surgery that he was performing that was the dark side. So I think we're okay. What do you think, Jer? 
I, yeah, I think we were like, what's a what's a business that hasn't been shown? And <laughs> when you typically think of a bad guy, where would he work? Plastic surgeon, I think we nailed it. Um, <laughs> we just want to have, and we got a great actor. Um, uh, Jonathan Buckley came on. He's a transplant. He was from Australia. So we thought it'd be great if he just kept the Australian accent. He works in uh, the North Shore in Chicago, pretentious guy, evil. He's into so many other things, you know, kind of keeping that Breaking Bad sort of thing. Uh, he's running drugs. He's doing, he's he's basically a mafia guy. <laughs> uh, just doing a all jerk. Yeah, just just a, <laughs> horrible person. Horrible yeah, person. Just, you know, you know, misogynistic, horrible yeah. person. Outro cast. Hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav, and I don't disappear fast. Because right now, you are watching the Paltrow cast. Outro cast.